Welcome to Positivity Strategist, a podcast that injects a good deal of optimism and possibility into your life at home and at work. Conversations with thought leaders and everyday people shine the light on what works and amplifies those everyday micro moments of positivity, irrespective of what else is going on. You'll be energized by lots of practical tips, inspiring you to live a truly satisfying and meaningful life. Hello to our wonderful growing community of Positivity Strategist podcast listeners. You're showing fabulous support for our guests, and I really appreciate that. This is our 30th show. Yay! And I'm your host, Robin Stratton Burkessel, and my guest today is Stefan Thieringer. Here's a sneak preview to whet your appetite. And my own integrity really was at stake here. That moment was for me very clear where I needed to make a change for myself. But first, let's do our Positivity Lens activity from last week's show. know that I do this each week as a way to strengthen our positivity muscle and to hone our ability to view people and situations through multiple lenses. And you know that my intention is that you not only cognitively experience the ideas of my guests, but you also experience them in your heart and body. You embody ideas that resonate with you. And how do you do that? Is through practice. You go out and you try them on for yourself like a new garment. And the more you practice, the better you'll become. Because remember, what you focus on grows. Now, last week, my guest was Izzy Gazelle, the organizational alchemist. And he provided us with such inspiring and practical insights about the value of applying humor and improv in our lives and our businesses. And here's what Izzy recommended. He suggested first that we go out and collect humor as it comes to us. And when something makes us laugh, we should jot it down, cut it out, capture the link or record a voice memo and then go out and share it with others. He also suggested that consciously we add more play into our lives. We should find activities, games, etc. that we enjoy and play them regularly. And then we'll notice how our authentic self emerges as we play. And the third tip was a great improv tip. Use yes and instead of yes but. Today, Stefan Thieringer is my guest. Stefan is speaking with me from Boston, yet he's truly a global citizen. And I'm really happy to have you on Positivity Strategist, Stefan. A big warm welcome to you. Robin, thank you so much. Uh, welcome and hello to everyone listening and thank you for having me on Positivity Strategist. It's my absolute pleasure. Now, from my limited expo- exposure, whoops, from my limited exposure to Stefan, I sum him up as a cool dude. His website is the Human Innovation Garage with a tagline, because building a better you is good for business. And this resonates with me very strongly. And I read on Stefan's LinkedIn profile that he's a strong and public voice for innovative thinking about the nexus of business strategy and education. Now, in 2012, Stefan received the World Education Award for Visionary Leadership in Impacting Economic Development. 
and that to me is a conversation on its own. Stefan has furthermore been featured in business and education publications such as EduTech, Business Week, The Financial Express, The Hindu Times, New York Times, Boston Globe, The Times of India, The Wall Street Journal and The Boston Business Journal. Stefan, your credentials and reach are very impressive. And I know that you're also an adjunct professor in the Faculty of Management and Entrepreneurship at Suffolk University, the Sawyer School of Business in Boston. But I want to come back to your being a cool dude. You have a bulldog as your iconic image on your website, and I sense you have a passion for radical self-awareness. So, Stefan, right in this moment, what do you say you are called to do in the world? You know, my, my great passion always in, in any business and in any interaction have been people. And for me, being able to share my expertise and my knowledge and, you know, we always talk about the good and the story and the business cards, so to speak, we put in front of people. But the reality is what creates us, what makes us is good, bad and ugly. And to be able to contextualize these things and the experience and expertise and share that with uh, people to their benefit and support growth, support learning, support education. I distinctly always make a difference between learning and education. Education, I very much look at it in an academic context. And learning is a lifelong process. And if I can be a force in that and a support in that for individuals, teams and people, I think that's really where I see my role and where I've become very committed to. Yeah. And so what about the bulldog symbolism on your website? You know, bulldogs are very lovable animals, and I think we all look at them and uh, embrace them and, and look at them as small little teddy bears who we can, you know, hold and love. But I think a bulldog also has intensity. Mm. Uh, and I think that's needed and focus, intensity, when you think about radical self-awareness in the context, as you put it out, and you think about working with executives and entrepreneurs and the types of people who are in these roles, it takes all of the above to be focused, to be supportive, nurturing, but at the same time to have that intense uh, focus in the moment of provocation, so to speak, to say, you know what, uh, here, is, here is what is necessary to reach from A to B to C to D uh, and get these unstuck moments going in a direction which is constructive and useful and impactful. Yeah, and is there a moment that this became clear for you? You know, it's, it's interesting, um, and I, I shared this with you in one of our earlier conversations. I've been a lifelong entrepreneur with deep commitment. And over the last decade and a half for me, it was always around education and impact in K through 12, learning and education and international and global education, particularly in emerging countries. And for me, when, uh, when I felt uh, a deep disconnect uh, in my career between uh, what my vision, my mission was as uh, CEO and president of an organization and also for the company itself and the disconnect there between the direction of the board and the investor side and my own integrity really was at stake here. That moment was for me very clear where I needed to make a change for myself. And um, that brought me really to the point of being able to say, you know what, there is an opportunity to really take that and, and share it with uh, people who uh, can use my support, my help, my expertise to their own benefit. And what was the disconnect? 
You know, it's a, it's a, I think there's, there's philosophy, there's impact. For me, uh, in any project today, even in context of the Human Innovation Garage, anything I do has social impact uh, attached to that. And I think um, you can do good in the world without, you know, getting too uh, stingy about it in context of financials and money. And I think when we talk about, in particular, in the context of venture capital, we talk about impact investing. Uh, it's much more than the word, which is sexy. It's about uh, following through and about being committed to that. And that really was the disconnect for me, where um, I felt clearly that I think in the world of uh, investment, in the world of uh, social impact and uh, corporate social responsibility, that there is there's a lot of uh, lip service, but I think the committed, thorough follow through oftentimes is is really not there. And interesting enough, you know, you quoted the Sawyer School of Business and Suffolk University. I currently is one of the courses I'm teaching is green and sustainable business. And there, particularly when you think about, you know, initiatives, uh, which are not just lip service, and as we call it, the sustainability story of an organization, but more importantly, the consequential impactful follow through where there really is a difference to be made in the world. That is really where I think, you know, kind of the rubber, so to speak, hits the road as, as the, the wonderful English American expression says. Yeah, and you referred a little earlier making a distinction between learning and education. So I'm just wondering for you, you know, what has been the learning that you're taking forward when you think about your role as a CEO and in a leadership role? What's the sort of learning that's important to you and that you're wanting to now take forward? So one of the big things for me is, um, it really it's reflected in everything I do within the Human Innovation Garage. Uh, one of the biggest things is when you think about radical self-awareness and you think about all the things we've learned uh, and we kind of categorize that under knowledge, um, we categorize maybe another piece being experience, we categorize another piece being goals, and then we kind of uh, really put that in relation to you know who we are and what we stand for which is a big part of radical self-awareness in context of values. And then we think about all the things like the stories uh, we, we think about and make up in our minds, which then very quickly leads to limiting beliefs and the self-saboteurs. To take all that and, and look at that with a very, very intense awareness, that radical self-awareness, and being very objective towards yourself about that, that's really for me where... I see a lot of my experience when I'm taking forward and having learned about it to translate that into an experience then which is beneficial to people and clients who work with me. Mm. And so the focus being on uh, self-awareness, so learning about yourself, right? Yeah. yeah. We, we find ourselves almost on a daily basis in kind of this piece of where the brain becomes kind of that control center and it says, well, yeah, th here's what the brain tells us to do. And when we then really think about it in terms of true and false, and we very quickly, you know, we get opinionated, we get quick, I don't want to say judge, but we get very quickly opinionated in a context of the brain saying to us, yep, that's true, and that's false. Mm -hmm. And based on that, we then essentially we say, this is how we're going to react to that. And I think there's a very distinct, uh, as, a, as a scholar of Latin, um, for me, the difference in power words, and I, I speak a lot with clients about that. I will hear clients say, well, I can tolerate that behavior mm -hmm. and I will stop them. And I will say, you will tolerate that behavior. Well, that comes from a position of power mm -hmm. if you accept it. Uh, and that becomes by itself a whole conversation. 
And I think the same thing then happens when you think about it in acting versus reacting. And, and that's why I want to emphasize, I think we all day long, we make up these stories and we say, well, that's the way we're going to react to that. But we really not tell ourselves that what we do is we just react mm -hmm. and we act out of an of useful or not so useful pattern where we say it's true, it's false. Based on that, I react in the following way. Mm -hmm. And I think these are little pieces, you know, where we then start this whole chain reaction of pieces um, which then go into what's possible, what's not. If I don't do this or if I do that, this is what will happen. And that's where I think the first step of that radical self-awareness in the context of limiting belief, where that really starts. And then how do I appropriate that into what do I stand for in terms of values, in terms of my own integrity, which again is not a choice. It's I am or I'm not. Mm. And that's kind of where really the entire journey begins of uh, that radical self-awareness journey, essentially. Yeah, but implicit in that is that you have an opportunity, I think, to step off the wheel <laughs> because, you know, we are often so busy in achieving, in meeting objectives and goals and all the things you talk about that when we have the opportunity to step outside of that and truly think, well, what does this mean and who am I in the world and what's important to me, things that you've mentioned in terms of values and the story that I'm telling myself about myself, <laughs> you know, to yeah. come to some self-awareness about all of that. I think I actually say it's a luxury to be able to do that, but it's also essential, right? So it's one of those dichotomies. It's not only a luxury to be able to step outside and do that or step off and do that. But it's also essential if you really want to be fulfilled in your life, I think. You're absolutely right. And I think you, you said it, you know, I think one big piece which people are always shocked about, particularly when you talk to senior levels, um, is the word vulnerability. Mm -hmm. Oh my God, I can be vulnerable. Mm -hmm. um, because again, it's all the story we build all day long, right? We need to look good. We need to have a particular status. We need to be per perceived a certain way. And I, with friends, oftentimes make this joke of saying, don't you know who I think I am? And people stop for a moment and say, what did you just say? Don't you know who I think I am? Mm -hmm. And I think that's really where, you know, it's kind of a funny statement, mm. but we've all found ourselves in those types of situations mm. and more, uh, some more, some less. And I think uh, when you think about vulnerability, humble beginnings, humble expression, and you look at great leaders, and there's, there's a distinct difference when you look at leadership. I think leadership in general is really an overused word uh, and a compliment to people. I think there's a lot of great managers, but there's, um, you know, there's a limited amount of really great leaders. Mm -hmm. It's a little bit like the difference, and Mike Mayad in his book, Hacking Leadership, uh, quoted it beautifully. He said, you know, it's a little bit like statesmen versus politicians. Mm -hmm. When we talk about statesmen, we all know the great statesman of our lifetime, and, and we just not uh, in the too recent past saw one passing with Nelson Mandela. We all know the difference between great statesman and politician. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, yep. Mm -hmm. And that is the distinction also, in my opinion, with the same uh, span of what is a great leader and what's a great manager. Right. And there's plenty of great managers out there who do wonderful things. But when you think of leadership as a service and you think of leadership as a support and really taking that, uh, you know, that pyramid of an organization and flipping it on its head, mm -hmm. it becomes a support function of the leader who's carrying the organization. And that's really what great leadership is all about. And that kind of 
uh, you know, uh, flares into all different directions. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and going back to one of your earlier questions, where do I see a big part of my role and, and, and my passion and compassion in particular? Mm-hmm. Uh, so a lot of that piece goes into my work as well, where, you know, my wish for every single one of my clients who I work with is to be able to recognize and being able to acknowledge and accept that uh, shift in don't be a micromanager, don't be, you know, hovering uh, like a helicopter manager over mm-hmm. every single thing. Because empowerment creates strength. Empowerment in the context of an organization by being able to identify with the process as an employee, which feels empowered by the senior leadership, and, and I distinctly use leadership here, mm-hmm. um, that makes all the difference in the world. Yeah. Yeah. A number of things come up for me in just listening to what you were saying. But I want to go back to the first thing that came up, and that is I think it's an interesting cultural thing I'm going to throw out here because, you know, you come from a European background. I come from a British heritage growing up around the world, and but predominantly, you know, my coming from Australia, it's a British heritage. And, you know, through my early career and in my leadership and studies, you know, as an organisation development professional, I made the distinction between managers and leaders. Mm. And I think in the same way that you are suggesting, Stefan, and yet I come to the United States and everybody's a leader. Uh Uh And it's almost like um, implicit in being a leader are also all those management functions and tasks and skill sets and mindsets. But mm-hmm. I, I'm a little bit of you. I think there's a difference between being a leader and how you actually work with people and what you stand for and the vision and the values and all of that and how you support people, how you influence. It's very different from being a manager of um, a department or systems or processes uh-huh. um, and policies and so on. So I'm just, I was just conscious of that, you know, with your background and my background that I was resonating very strongly about those two distinctions. You know, it's, it's interesting because I think when, when people, you know, get to know me and they know uh, not much of my work, but they initially know my background, my heritage and, you know, German culture and generally, uh, and you know this is is we can be very stern, we can be very stubborn, and we can be uh, particularly you know committed to whatever we think is uh, in our own perception uh, the direction we need to go after, and we can be you know not persuade into any other thing at that moment. But again, that goes back to when you think about what leadership is, and when you think about what does role, and even if we look at kind of the definition of leadership, it's really about how can I with a distinct goal in mind, influence a group of people to do something which is in the best interest of a company, be that the mission as well as certainly the vision of a company. Mm -hmm. And essentially, it's not about bossing people around. It's about an organic growth of a mission um, within an environment that is defined by a group or by a group of uh, people who I have the responsibility of leadership for. Yeah. And at that moment, it very clearly becomes a service role and not something where I stand and say, oh, go do this and go do that. It's not a task management exercise. Yeah. And yeah. That is really the, the, the big distinction here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it goes back to, you know, how do people come across? Because somebody will say, oh, wow, this person is very charismatic coming mm-hmm. into the room. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's a good first step to be a leader. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's much more to it. Mm-hmm. It's interaction. It's 
very behavioral, uh, distinct by one person to the other. Uh, and what is their action versus just being a reactor? Yeah. And I think underpinning what you're saying is also that developmental ability to be yeah. able to develop the leadership in others. So everyone sees themselves having that capacity to be able to lead something in some way, you know, their own thought leadership, their own relational leadership. Um, You know, it's not all about tasks and delivering stuff. The other thing too that you mentioned, you know, I think about (laughs) self-management. I come from the philosophy that, you know, we are self-organizing systems and I think true leaders recognize that self-organizing capacity and trust in that capacity of all human beings and don't have the fear. I mean, underpinning a lot of what you're saying or saying there is this fear that exists or this skepticism or being concerned about being vulnerable or being perceived as weak or not being perceived as having all the answers. So I'm sure that's a big piece of what you discover and what you're working with. Am I right in that? Uh, absolutely. I mean, it couldn't be any bigger uh, and, and predominant as you're expressing it, because when you when you think about senior leaders and executives and uh, particularly in the role of chairman, CEOs, presidents, um, you know, what's fascinating is one of the first things which on the self-saboteur and kind of that piece of I can't do the following mm-hmm. comes up is always I can't trust other people mm-hmm. as much as they will in a, in a public forum say different. I can't trust other people is usually when you rank it on a scale of one to 10, 10 being the most predominant uh, coming up, it's probably an eight or a nine. That's a bit like I can't trust myself to trust other people. Yeah, yeah, mm. it, that's exactly correct. Mm. And, and that is really, you know, when we think about kind of the grounding um, perspective of what I go back to, what is my values? What is kind of the combination between what do I stand for and who am I? And then contextualizing that in kind of the five core components, as I call them, values, knowledge, experience, goals, and the self-saboteurs. Mm-hmm. That is at the very top here, which is kind of that ground-breaking breakthrough where I'm saying, oh, wow, you know what? If I change my perception here and I change um, the true versus false and what's useful, but then also go into kind of that exercise of what if, the exercise of possibility. Mm-hmm. But I have that awareness around it, needing to do that, the whole game changes because we don't then start uh, from a place of, oh, my God, if I do this and, and it doesn't go right, it could be a disaster. Suddenly we're looking at, which is the beauty between you and I here in the conversation, right? Your title, positivity strategist. <laughs> That's what it's about. It's about how do I drive it in positive energy with positive meaning, with positive force into a positive impact? which produces a positive result. Mm -hmm. And that's the piece where I kind of really feel strongly about it. And that's kind of that shift which goes on for people, Um, Mm -hmm. uh, which, uh, you know, oftentimes uh, people don't see it initially, but as they start being reacted to and people see them acting differently and that entrusting the empowerment, the the laissez-faire almost, I want to say, Mm -hmm. which will happen in a boardroom, in a meeting, in a general culture. It's a culture shift in an organization oftentimes. Mm. Uh, that is just a significant impact then. And it very quickly drops to the bottom line and results. I mean, we've seen 
Um, you can look at data in any companies. Uh, we've seen increase of revenues and, and revenue impacts up to 62% with a complete culture shift and change because there's employee empowerment in global organizations, which just changes things. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, I think that speaks for itself. Yeah, that's great. So, um, Stefan, you've just given me a number of, or one specific positive result that you're finding in the work that you're doing. So um, how else are you affecting people positively through this work? You know, for my side, it's, it's, it really breaks down. Um, you look at time management and, and meeting mania, right? I need to be at every meeting. The micromanager who says, well, I need to be in this meeting. Time management is a direct effect of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what that usually oftentimes affects, uh, as I see it with senior executives, is the family life. Mm-hmm. I just took on uh, a new client in, in the Florida region. And one of the big challenges uh, for him is two children, one new baby, and he's expected uh, to spend more time with his family. That's the communication he gets from his wife. Mm-hmm. And really what it pulls down to is priority and strategic management within your strategic initiatives, which support the goal of the company. So it's a wonderful exercise to do. And everybody listening, you know, as a takeaway, just for your own entertainment, kind of track for a day or two or three, all the things you do in 15, 30 minutes increments uh, over the course of a day or two or three. And put it in context of, you know, what is of strategic value to the business based on the commitment you've made to the organization. And rank it into one, two, and three. And one being the most important and relevant to the strategic mission of the business, and three being the least. And surprisingly enough, when I go through this exercise with my clients, very quickly we're able to eliminate probably anywhere between one and a half to two hours a day of time spent on subjects and issues and topics and meetings and discussions which are really irrelevant to the strategic value supporting the business. Mm-hmm. And suddenly, you know what, the day frees up. Yeah. The mind gets clearer. It's not as distracted with things which are unnecessary. And most importantly, if the effect is to have better time management, you can leave your office at 6.30, 7 o'clock to be home at dinner at 8 o'clock or leave it at 5.30 if you need to be home at 6.30. Mm. Whatever, whatever the time management needs may be. But that is a, such a simple exercise. And the effect it has, though, and the power it, it really brings with it is significant. And I think work-life balance is, is another big piece which exactly surrounds that. Mm. Yeah, I'm sure you can open up all sorts of conversations when you do that kind of analysis and see where you've been putting your attention. <laughs> yeah. And just how effective or not that you are in spending yeah. the time yeah. the way that you do. Yeah. yeah. What's the need for your services? You know, Um, I'm just wondering, you know, about the impact that you're having and how people are identifying, yes, I do need to become more self-aware and even radically self-aware. How is that showing up in the organizations or among the people that you're working with? It shows up in in multiple different levels. Um, We have started working with some portfolio companies of investors. And one thing I want to be distinctly clear of, the relationship between us as um, business advisors, business thinkers, coaches with the CEO or president of the organization is highly confidential and a very, very trusted relationship. 
But what happens is, is a lot of the investors actually into their various portfolio companies see the benefit of radical self-awareness because there is a lot of you know, goals which need to be attained. There's experience necessary. The knowledge needs to be contextualized. Uh, the values need to be flushed out because they all understand that if there is clarity around these pieces mm-hmm. and kind of the uh, the expectation around limiting beliefs and self-saboteurs is kind of managed, mm-hmm. the results for them in protecting their own investment uh, becomes much more significant. Mm, great. Um, so these are pieces which we're seeing um, in our side a lot of uh, mind shift uh, because uh, when, when you think about, you know, the traditional investor will invest in an A, a B mm-hmm. market, but they will never invest in a B team. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think being mm-hmm. able to support that A team in all consequence or elevating new players who come to the team to that radical self-aware level, which is in the best interest of the business, but most importantly themselves, because it just becomes very organic, how it kind of exudes that vibrance. Um, And I think that's what it's all about. Hmm. Yeah, so you're talking about the whole systemic effect of this. Um, You know, one thing impacts the other. and I also had an insight too in listening to you that we're not just talking about personal um, self-awareness, but we can also talk about organizational self-awareness. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's another piece, you know, when you think about team building, you think about team dynamics, one of the things we do, um, we always bring in, you know, some form of a personality testing. We mm-hmm. bring in uh, 360 degree evaluations, which mm-hmm. people, you know, kind of the old traditional, I don't want to say the old traditional way, let's be fair, but a lot of people give out these surveys very quickly and there's 10 questions and tell us what you think about X, Y, and Z. And that's, that's lovely and wonderful. And then they give it back to that person and say, yeah, it's anonymous and you can figure out. And then everybody starts playing this mind game of, mm, I wonder who told me that. Mm. Mm, I wonder where that's coming from. But that's not useful. What's useful is to really pull all that data and start uh, looking at it in a very contextual and aggregated manner and then really employ very specific coaching and mentoring to the individual who's received the 360 degree feedback. Because that's really where from our side, and when you think of the context of what we call personal innovation strategy, mm-hmm. which applies into all these various areas, time management, communication, priority management, etc. As you kind of contextualize that and you start building fact sheets around their activity and leadership dashboards, it becomes a significant part of their career and how they're going out for the next, you know, six months, 12 months, 18 months, which is an exercise I do with everybody who is looking to work with us as a client. Um, We're very radical about the fact in saying, well, let's see if this is a good match for us to work together. Mm -hmm. Because uh, again, it's a trusted relationship. It's a, it's a mentoring relationship. It's a coaching relationship. It's a, a sounding board. It's an advisory. It's a business thinking. It's oftentimes stepping into the boundaries of consulting a little bit because I think that's a big differentiator for us because we have expertise obviously in the company, which is entrepreneurial and executive expertise. And that makes a big difference. So we're not you know, just uh, people who've decided, okay, great, we're going to sit with people in a boardroom and in a meeting room and we're going to tell them how to uh, feel more emotional about certain things. But what we want them to do is really have that, again, radical self-awareness around who they are because it's a growth uh, process. Yeah. Uh, and that's really the important piece here. And it comes from a place of 
uh, compassion. It comes from a place of support, but intensity, which is, you know, we talked earlier about it, the bulldog. Mm-hmm. But it also is very important to look at it in saying, what's my benefit to that? And how do I grow from it? And how do I get to this next level where then in the context of all my various goal points, my mission, my vision of the company, how can I be best supportive of that? Yeah. So how do you balance or how do you enter the conversation or or talk about hard stuff, which is the financial, the metrics, the processes and all that traditional stuff that goes on in organisations to make them work and you need all of that with the compassion that you're talking about and the empowering and the supporting, so those kinds of attributes. Where's the focus of, and I know it's probably individual to individual, but if you could generalise, is there a, is there more of a pull to the soft versus the hard? What's your experience in the work that you're doing? You're absolutely correct. It really is on a case-by-case basis. And what we need to understand and what we need to remember is every financial decision has an impact Mm -hmm. and every action within an organization has a financial impact. Mm -hmm. And that's really uh, where it's more than anything on a case by case basis. Let's say, you know, let's let's talk about a startup company who's received their second round of financing and uh, things on the sales side don't go as well as projected. And we need to make some adjustments uh, because the business development person can't be there anymore because they're not producing. But we also need to maybe, uh, you know, uh, reduce our marketing team because obviously uh, one person can mm-hmm. handle what we're doing. And, and uh, so the right. process being eliminating some positions. Right. And that's oftentimes in a startup environment, one of the hardest pieces to do because you get to know people very intimately. Mm-hmm. You get to know people very closely. Um, so how do I how do how do I handle that as the executive who is working with me or as the uh, CEO and president of an organization and a startup CEO? And that's really where a lot of the conversation in terms of authenticity comes in as well, because people you know people don't want to hear the dance. People want honesty. People want truth. People want clarity, and that is a clarity which is not just on the side of the required on the side of the CEOs communicating the message. Mm-hmm. But it also goes back to transparency. And I think when you really think of true transparency in the context of an organization and you think about what is being shared in the growth of a company and what are being shared in terms of messages and employee engagement, it's not about writing a policy and a procedure plan and saying, well, go do this, go do that. It's really about you know, total quality management, empowerment, Six Sigma, how do I get people engaged on a level that there is no surprise that if tomorrow I come to you and I say, you know what, business development is not working that great, uh, we need to make some changes, it shouldn't come to anybody as a surprise. So the lesson here is, is a good leader is, has enough transparency that somebody who is affected by something like that should not be surprised by it, the move which is being made or necessary to be made next. Mm. So it kind of very, again, is a growth period. So. Uh, you know, at that moment, then it becomes, again, a case-to-case uh, situation. I've had CEOs say to me, you know, but I'm really not good at firing people. Is there anything, mm-hmm. if somebody else can help me with that? I said, well, it's not about firing. It's about coaching people into a situation where they understand what the implications are and the consequence of continuing that particular position with the expense or in changing it and making it a positive experience in regards to saying, well, 
there's an opportunity to correct that and set an action plan into place. And if that action plan is not uh, accomplished, then it becomes the consequence of eliminating a position. And in good transparency environments, um, usually that is something which is being made very quickly available to people and people are generally aware of it. Yeah, that, that's um, very nicely said. I, you know, you're really talking about how you live out values that are important to you. Yeah. So it's the behaviours that you're living the values to. And just two other things, the double entendre of growth. I mean, you talk about business growth, but you can also talk about human growth. <laughs> so, yeah. um, you know, both are valid. And the same thing with appreciation, you know, appreciation is something where you grow in value, but you can also appreciate somebody in the sense of really honoring and respecting and evaluating their contribution. So it's nice to see the parallels and these sorts of things. Um, Stefan, what gives you hope and optimism for the future of our organizations and corporate life and our work life? People. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, 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 I think it's all about people. Mm-hmm. It's, it's about uh, the young generation is very different than I think uh, we grew up to a large extent, mm-hmm. but inflected by social media, the internet and information access. And just, you know, I, I oftentimes think about this as I teach also at, at school or I talk with some nonprofit organizations I'm involved in, if that's Street Soccer USA, if that's Network for Teaching Entrepreneurship and others. Right. Um, when, when you're in front of young adults and children and you see that, you kind of go, wow, this is interesting because they're so quick to attain information and challenge also what you said. Mm-hmm. And I think when I, you know, what gives me hope is that A, that is available to them, but I also see a significant shift in uh, acceptance, not tolerance, acceptance of those voices coming into uh, the boardroom, into corporate, into uh, holding the world and people and leaders accountable Mm -hmm. to doing what's right. And that's on the side of, you know, sustainable and green business, as we talked about a little earlier, talks in human rights. Mm-hmm. And many, many, many other aspects of that. I mean, just look how viral uh, things have gone with, with Ferguson. Um, whatever your opinion may be about it, I think it creates a level of accountability and a level of transparency, which is, which is really important and necessary. So that's, I think, for me, which is very people-driven, crowdsourced. I call it oftentimes crowd intelligence and cloud intelligence because there's so many dynamics which are starting to happen, uh, which I think will hold people uh, in a very different and uh, a much more collaborative level accountable. That's lovely. Yeah. Yes, I also have this, um, you know, I live with hope and optimism and, you know, we, we have progressed. We don't burn women at the stake anymore and we are evolving our consciousness to be far more open and aware. And, and no question. I mean, there's, there's, you know, there's old theories out there. I mean, one of the big things which I occasionally talk about is like kind of that integrated psychological piece mm-hmm. uh, where you kind of take, you know, old models. Uh, and and uh, James Scullers actually is, is somebody who wrote about this many years ago uh, in terms of three levels of leadership. And, you know, there's, there's kind of the piece we put out idealistically and then all the unconscious beliefs uh, fall underneath that. And then uh, what is leadership presence falls into that as well, right? The old behavioral with new styles and the various pieces which kind of fall into that. So I think that's uh, as we kind of go through the transition and, and the, evolving, the, the evolution mm-hmm. of, of uh, you know, what I am and who do I want to become, again, 
why we focus so much on radical self-awareness is exactly for that reason. Mm -hmm. To have that consciousness around it to say, this is where I am, this is where I want to go and have that support system in place who teaches, mentors, um, challenges you to go there. Whoa, so we come full circle. So very transformational. Yeah. You know, that's really what it is. I mean, people talk about transformational yeah. leadership. Um, and again, that's a big word, transformational leadership. Uh, what does that mean? The way I talk about it and the way I like to see it is exactly as we you know, talked about for the last 30, 45 minutes. Yeah, absolutely. So we will have links to your website and to some, some of your social media um, channels on our show notes for this episode, Stefan, and it's going to be positivitystrategist.com slash PS30. You're my 30th show, which is a lovely number. number. (laughs) Good, I like that. So is there anything (laughs) else that you would like to leave um, my listeners with? Anything you'd like to suggest? I know you did give us a lovely positivity strategy, which was about tracking your time in 15-minute increments, which is something that I will definitely suggest are there any other tips that you would like to leave us with that you found have worked for people to become far more self-aware, which will help them in their own growth? You know, I think friends of mine always call me out on it. And there's a big difference between the word and the meaning of when and if. In German, it's exactly the same mm-hmm. word. And I think use more the word when. Nice. Which means... I'm really going to do it. Nice. Yeah. And as a positivity strategy, kind of adopt the sentence of when I do rather than if I do. And when I do then, which opens up the possibilities. Beautiful. Um, and I think that's something we should all do more of where uh, if we adopt that thinking more, which again is, you know, positive thinking rather than the limiting. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we, we start, the sky's the limit. And that's, I think, something we can all do more of and share more of with the world. Yeah, I love that. Thank you for suggesting that. And we didn't get to talk about limiting beliefs and self-sabotage, so we'll have to leave that for another time. I would love that. That's a big piece of it. Great. So anything else you would like to say before we say goodbye to each other? No, it's been, it's been a pleasure. So lovely. Thank you so much, Stefan. It's been such a joy to speak with you today. Robin, thank you very, very much as well. It's been a pleasure. And as I, I can't quote it any better, uh, the conversation flow and uh, a dear a mentor and friend of mine, Achim Novak, who was on your podcast before as well, was a pleasure. And I, I hope that also your listeners uh, are able to take one or two things away and think more when than if. I think so. I'm sure they will. Thanks again. Bye, Stefan. My pleasure. Thank you. Bye-bye. This week's Positivity Lens activity, which I encourage you to download on the show notes page of this episode, which is positivitystrategist.com slash PS30, is to invite you to think about how radically self-aware you are. Now, Stefan offered us two great strategies that will also increase the positivity in your life. So track what you do every 15 minutes of each day for up to three days or longer if you wish and give each activity a ranking of one, two, or three. Number one, you give to activities that are of the greatest strategic value to your business and the work that you do. And number three, to the least. Now, when you analyze how you spend your time with those rankings, 
you'll, you'll most likely clean up your life and find out how much more free time has opened up for you to be able to do the things that you also want to do. Now, the second tip was to substitute if with when, when you talk. Instead of saying, if I do, say, when I do, and notice the shift. Then follow up that with, when I do, then. And you'll start to notice it creates movement, possibility, and growth. So you can be notified of new episodes by email. Links to all these suggestions are available on positivitystrategist.com forward slash podcast. Thank you for listening and remember what you focus on grows. So grow towards your best. <laughs>